Hey guys, welcome back to the Move, Eat and Re-Energize podcast show, where we sit down and have conversations with interesting, inspiring legends about mindset, movement, nutrition and bringing more energy into your day. Today I'll catch up with Shannon Pigden, who is one half of the power couple behind Lone Dog MPE, the local gym that I work for. Shannon is a highly qualified personal trainer and coach who travels the world competing in kettlebell sports and also taking courses to further his knowledge. He is also probably the top kettlebell, TRX and trigger point instructor in Australia, meaning he basically coaches personal trainers on how to be better better personal trainers. Shannon and the Lone Dog community are great personal friends of mine as they are one of the big reasons I stayed in the industry during a very tough time in my life, which I will always be super grateful for. Right, so that's enough for me. Let's get into the show. All right, so I'm here with Doggy or Shannon Pigden from Lone Dog and we're going to talk about health, health outcomes and programming for health outcomes and sort of, sort of programming for fitness, program for health and the difference between the two. But first, Doggy, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about you? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I run a facility in Albury, New South Wales, Australia called Lone Dog. And it would be identified from the outside as being a, a gym or an exercise facility. But really what we're doing now is uh, setting our attention towards health-based outcomes through exercise. And that's come from over the last couple of years, uh, our members or our clients or the people in our community, the things that they have asked for from us um, as their exercise provider have been things that are relating more around uh, longevity and being able to do a lot of stuff throughout a very long life uh, as opposed to performance outcomes, which is what we would uh, put our fitness hat on for. So we don't have a lot of people come to us. We do um, have people come to us for performance outcomes, but most of them, uh, even though they're not understanding it when they're asking for it, uh, they're asking for health outcomes. So we've uh, basically delved or moved our, shifted our emphasis now over to more health coaching, uh, which actually draws a lot more attention to what they're doing outside the gym rather than just what they're doing with the small amount of time that they're with us in it. Yeah, it's kind of like, I suppose we could, well, give, give me, like, if you had to explain to someone fitness versus health outcome, how would you explain it in the elevator pitch? Yeah, sure. So the, uh, the, the fitness outcome is, would be performance. This is how yeah. I look at performance. So when people talk about fitness outcomes, they're like, I want to run this fast or lift this heavy or perform this task uh, uh, to a certain metric. And, um, and a health-based outcome would be uh, I want to have a very active, retired life. Yeah. So what can I do to make the most out of that now? Um, basically, it's the, it's, uh, we get a lot of people who are more investing in themselves for later on down the track because they're uh, recognizing how important that is. Yeah. It's kind of like fitness is like, are you fit to do a task? And usually... For some of those things, it can help health, but for a lot of those things, like especially at the high end, when you get to the high sports performance, yeah. sometimes it's that like negatively affects your health because you're focused on the fitness part sometimes. Because like you can be fit to throw a shot put, but are you healthy? Or you're fit to be a sumo wrestler, but are you healthy? Like that's like super extreme examples. But And then health is like, yeah, longevity. What can you do? as you age, when you get older, that's sort of the way I kind of think about it too. Or health and more than the sense that there's the, 
you know, the body that you're currently residing in, is it operating at its most optimal potential? Yeah. Um, for performance, you zero that into a certain section. So for me, for example, like I can still talk about performance because I'm active in uh, Giravoy sport or kettlebell sport. And to be able to perform that at a world championship level, which we do, uh, it takes, you know, uh, specific, um, specific programming and specific outcomes to make that happen. Uh, but there are health consequences that come along with that too. And what the average gym goer that we uh, come into contact with fails to recognize or it has not been informed about beforehand is if they look at all exercise based outcomes from a fitness perspective, um, they don't understand that some of those things can come with health trade-offs um, that they are not, um, because they're unaware of it, they're not knowing that, that that's what they're giving up uh, later on down in life. So um, it's creating awareness around that almost. And yeah. it's saying that you can have, you can have the fitness outcome if you want it, but also understand that if you do that, um, you might be trading off something, uh, something else. Again, it's sort of, it's happened to both of us before we both went down very hard into the fitness avenue and neglected other stuff like our recovery and things and which could be a total another topic using supplements to get through the stuff we wanted to do so we could do more. And I burnt out and ended up in hospital and in bed for a couple of times. And I know you burnt out as well at a stage. So this is sort of like a big passion thing for us where, yes, we want to help people get fit for what they want to do, but also make sure they can still do stuff as they get older without neglecting other things that are important. Yeah, because I guess the, the thing that's important about that is you can do both. Yeah. Um, it was just never explained to me. Nah. Uh, by <laughs> or me. <laughs> early on that, you know, um, and, and, and it's still the general, when I talk to the, the men on the street, that's still the generally accepted thing that if you want to be a high performer, you basically just have to run yourself into the ground until you can't do it anymore. And that's when you, that's when you stop doing it. Um, whereas I'm going to events and seeing people who are performing quite well in their seventies and eighties. And then that, that's kind of like a thing where you're like, Oh, you don't just sort of like have this small window in your twenties to be like a super athlete. And then after that, if you've missed your window, bad luck. Um, and also too, to all those super athletes out there, you don't just have to destroy yourself and then hobble around in your thirties and forties and then basically live a, a life of nothingness in your sixties and seventies because you know, you gave it your all as a, as a young person. Yeah. it's kind of, so what, how would you, we'll start with programming for health outcomes. Where's the starting point or where, where do you see that things go wrong straight away? Uh, yeah, I guess it's the understanding of what the people are, are wanting mm. versus um, what they think they're getting. Yeah. And I, I have this conversation a lot um, or it gets asked upon me a lot um, about what exactly or, or why exactly um, do you see, you know, the, the fitness facility down the street basically uh, burning people into the ground day in, day out, um, and why our approach is not like that. And it's quite simply because the people who come to us, when they tell us what they want, um, our programming is a reflection of this. And um, I think what should be, what would be nice to be understood, and, and my whole uh, background on this is just from basically sort of sniffing around the, the very clever people at the Institute of Motion who, who talk a lot about health outcomes and uh, basically adopting some of their stuff because it just spoke to my community so well. 
And the, the idea is just understanding exactly uh, the um, exactly the entire response that your body is getting from all exercise. So in the past, uh, when, you, when you see people come off the street, they'll, they'll understand that if you lift something heavy um, for, a, for, you know, the right way, you will eventually become stronger and, you know, hello, lo and behold, there's your strength outcome, right? And the other side of that is if you perform certain tasks, then you will adapt to those too. So, you know, runners become better at running for longer and, and all those sorts of things. People can lift kettlebells for faster for a shorter period of time and all this sort of stuff. But what's really being misunderstood by the public is um, what's happening, you know, at a deeper level within your body um, and what are the consequences of that. So, for example, you know, high-intensity training, which is great and well-backed research-wise for uh, fitness-based outcomes. So, you know, increasing, you know, VO2 maxes and decreasing body fat and, and, and making people just bigger, stronger, faster, which is fantastic if that's what you want. Um, not, not realizing that um, it also is one of these things that turns over cells faster. So it, it actually increases your aging process. So for the people who are coming into me saying, you know, I'm the, these crow's feet on the outside of my face, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of those but I do want to lose body fat. Okay. That's great. We can put strategies together to, you know, allow that to happen without taking away from the other. So I can make you lose body fat and look like a leather glove at the same time, yeah. or I can make you look like, or you can lose body fat and also, you know, uh, age gracefully at the same time as well. And, and my, my population seem to be asking for me. They don't really care about the timeline too much. Uh, but they do want the results. So it's, uh, it's just about programming the right training for them. And then the per person on the other side who is just, you know, training themselves in the ground and not realizing that they're, um, you know, they're increasing or from a cell perspective that mm. they're turning themselves over. Um, uh, <laughs> when they find out that um, then that's a big deal, then they start changing the way that they think. So it's more about getting that idea out to them as well. They just, don't, they just don't know it yet. No, and it sounds... Like when I talk to people, it's basically for everyone who's listening in, telomeres is the thing they use to sort of measure your lifespan, if that's the right wording, where high-intensity training, they're finding the say, well, super, anything that's like super extreme high stress on your system can shorten the telomere length of your life. And then if you do the right kind of training, you can increase it again or get it back to where it was before. And there's a, there's a book out, The Telomere Effect, that explains it, and you can Google it to find out more. We won't go into that here, but... It's kind of no go Australia. The, there's a woman who won a, a very important science prize for doing research on telomeres. So go Tasmania. I yeah, I think of her name right now, but because if you said that, I was just trying to think of it off the top of my head. And I, she, her name has escaped me, but she does a wonderful TED talk on that. So I'll chuck it into um, actually, yeah, I'll chuck the TED talk in the notes and everything. But it's really it's a hard sell to people to tell them that yeah, high intensity training can get you what you want and get you there really quickly. But the trade-off is this thing with telomeres at the end. And then as soon as they hit it, it's kind of like like the, the, the secret around all over again when people sort of wigged out on the secret that if you thought something, it will happen. Same with the telomeres. They're not really bought into the idea that this is an actual thing, even though it's totally researched and backed and proven to show that this, this is what's happening. They don't really buy into that idea yet. And... Because it's not sexy either. Telling people to wind it back a bit and doing the stuff for health is, doesn't sell as much as 
high intensity stuff at the moment, which is probably just more on the fact of the way we deliver it, I guess. Um, yeah, well, the, that just comes back to us to discovering what people actually want. And uh, the people that I speak to mostly um, are appreciating the fact that their parents, the generation above them, are living longer than the generation before that, which is kind of nice. Mm. Actually, last weekend, the oldest person on the planet did pass away at 117 years old of age <laughs> the third oldest person actually to reach that so um, wow the the fact that we as a population or as a race are getting older and that's thank you very much medical interventions for yeah. helping pre- preserve us for longer you can say what you like about medicine it is doing its job um but we've also got to get on the other side of this as exercise pro- professionals and and get people on the proactive side of things so mm. that um so that when they're reaching these ages, because, because training people now into their 80s and 90s is so far more commonplace than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm right now, I've been telling people for a while now, if I live short of 130, I'm going to be pretty pissed. Yeah. So I've got, you know, considering I'm coming up to 40, knowing <laughs> that I've still got 90, 90 years left in the tank, so to speak, like from, a, from an existence point of view, that's the thing. People are appreciating mm. the fact that they're going to be around for longer. And they want to do more for it now. And if you're going to choose exercises now that are going to assist you um, to have an active like nine decades after what someone would call your performance age, (laughs) then we best start thinking about the way that we do that and the strategies that we use to get people there. Because yes, if you're going in now to do all your HIIT training and you're from a cell signaling point of view, you're going to crank up your mTOR, which is great. It's going to, that's, that's good. That's your bigger, stronger, faster, right? But if at the rate of that, it's going to be turning over cells and, and causing cell death, then, you know, don't worry about planning too much about what you're going to do with that superannuation because you're not going to be around to spend it. But the people that I'm speaking to certainly are watching their parents live quite, quite a lot longer than their grandparents did. Mm. Um, and what they're noticing is, man, I don't want to be in the shape my parents are in at that age. I, I want to be able to. Um, have what they have, but be able to do something with it. So people are people are starting to think in that realm, and and they're the people that we're kind of getting at Lone Dog, people who want to, um, you know, to be lean and strong and all that sort of stuff. That's still at the at the forefront of what people want, um, but they want to do it for a long time. Yeah, and the good, which is good, because it's sort of changing away from where the whole retirement thing, where you get to sit down and do nothing at all for the rest of your life, which is sounds super shit but it's now changing towards a thing where they're like when i retire i want to go do stuff because we're so busy now when like we can't the ability to get for us to go do stuff is not as well it depends depends on the person but they want to be able to do (laughs) they want to be able to do things when they retire which is the big thing and when someone says that then it's like okay then this is when we start talking about how do we train you or program for you to be able to do this stuff later. Cool, you can do it now, but then take it into when you get older. That's the sort of stuff that we're going to get into now. So I guess like we literally just looked up this uh, research article just before we got on the call and it was literally, it said 50% of patients who fall from and get a fractured hip die within six months if you're over the age of 60. So, I knew it was something like that. You hear that one come up yeah. all the time. Like people say that once you, if you fall and, and break something, then you've got a, you've got a short life expectancy after that. So um, preventative activities to not let that happen. Uh, they're important, right? Yeah. So 
that's why for us, uh, it's, it's, it's a backwards way of thinking. Everybody thinks that when you train people, okay, you, you've sort of, you got to train, what is it? Stability, then strength and power, right? Yeah. That it's the opposite for our population. We need to train power first because as you age, that's the first thing that dies off, right? Again, I'm, I'm just sort of uh, drawing from the IOM health guys here. In terms yeah, yeah. Of all, all, those, all that information. Because it's a new uh, way of thinking, sense. which is cool. It, it makes so much sense that, um, that we make sure that we train people that. And, and, that, and as a rule for, you know, you look at the last couple of decades of the way that <laughs> the, the attitude of training and they hate this the most seniors or the elderly or what other <laughs> word that, that you can throw on there <laughs> as a label that just makes people feel like less than human. Uh, <laughs> you will see people like, Oh, that would, uh, sorry. Uh, gentle exercise. Oh, they really oh yeah. To yeah. Start a gentle exercise program. And the, the attitude, the intention's right. Right. You know, you're trying to help people, but the attitude's wrong. The, it should be the other way. People need to be trained for power. And yeah. I don't mean that you need to train people in their seventies to do like snatches and hand cleans and box jumps. That's the, that's the opposite of what we're looking at here. The idea here is that they do need to be able to like stop on a dime basically so that they don't step out in front of traffic so that if you trip over that you, um, that you can stop yourself hitting the deck or prevent yourself from injury or that you just don't end up like one of those people who trips and then takes 20 minutes to hit the ground because you're, you know, you're doing that end over end over end trying to get your balance and then you eventually fall on your face anyhow. So it's the idea that um, by making sure that you train power for people as they get older, that they, this will help offset this um, natural biological aging process. Yeah. So real quick, we'll go, let's talk about how people think power training is, which you just mentioned and how you actually do it at Lone Dog and how Institute of Motion probably does it too. And the big one we'll throw out there is the, the ground spanks, which is, I think one of the best tools we've brought in in probably the last, what is it? Two years? Yeah. We've probably been doing that one for three, I think. Three years. Yeah. And then like every time we do them, it's always been like, confused faces and things of like people going, why the hell are we doing this ground spank besides having a cool name for it? Yeah. No, I, know. I think the, <laughs> just calling it that was the cool name, right? Yeah. And I'm like, every time I'm like, it's super functional. You're trying to stop yourself falling and that's what you're doing. And then when they get that, they're like, huh? But yeah. when they're not dead, when they don't understand it, they're just like, this is stupid. I don't know why we're doing this. So yeah. yeah. Compare the ground spank to an old way of power training. We used to think was the best way to do it. Well, no, we, we, we still like those other forms yeah. of training, the uh, upwards acceleration stuff. So your kettlebell swings and your, and your cleans and your, uh, and your jumps, they're all great for um, yeah, generating power in an upwards direction. Um, but people also need to know how to decelerate. So they need to know how to stop, basically. So there are upward stopping drills that we do with like the vipers and so forth and the medicine balls. And then with the ground spanks, um, being able to generate power in that direction as well, because that's where, especially for people who are falling, that's where they they need to like teach themselves how to stop and how to produce and how to absorb force um, mm. in that direction, because that's that's kind of where they get brought undone. You know the um, the idea that the idea that um, you know if you step if you trip off a curb like and then you stop on instantly on the next step. That's that's the idea. That's what you that's what you want to be able to do. 
and we need to and and training power is one way of doing that so yeah so we want to strike the ground hard and that transfers back over to performance anyway so all all the tissue in your feet on the way up like you know foot training is kind of important right so (laughs) we're just gonna we're just gonna make sure that we do that as well and the feedback that we get from people and and the people we're talking people who are in their 20s and 30s like where when we're talking aging i'm just talking anybody who's older than four yeah okay so um yeah (laughs) Uh, anybody who can walk around by themselves pretty confidently the um the idea is that those people at all those ages should look at that drill and go i can i can basically strike the ground really hard Mm. and you can hear it from a mile away right that sort of stuff i we we do we go and make the earth shake i want to see how powerful we want to hear how powerful you are yeah. yeah, and the um, and even the people that are in their twenties and thirties now that cannot generate that downward force because you know their knee doesn't want them to, or their feet don't want them to, or their lower back doesn't want them to, um, we need to get on top of that stuff now because if if we don't, or we keep avoiding it, or training around it, or saying, oh, you know what, oh, your knee hurts, does it? Oh, let's just do this this gentle exercise, right? <laughs> Instead, then we're we're just doing our community a disservice. Yeah, because what is what people sort of, I guess, not picking on anyone, but what people seem to get stuck in is like, yes, we want you to train and be able to move anyway. But if there's an issue that's coming up now, there's going to be a massive issue later on. Like someone was telling me about their partner who's got a dicky back at the moment and wakes up completely jacked over. This person's in their 20s and completely jacked over but won't go see anyone. And hasn't seen anyone. It's been almost two years. Like, can you imagine what this person's going to be like when they're already waking up, hunched over, like they've got the biggest S-shaped spine you can think of. And like when they're 50 and then when they're 60 and then 70 and 80, if nothing gets done on trying to look at where the issue is and then building this um, power into what they're doing. Because imagine with him slapping the ground the way he is at the moment, that's just going to shoot pain all the way up through his body. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of like how you would prescribe that to that mm. person is completely different to how I might prescribe that for you today. And and for that person too, it might be prescribed differently to them tomorrow or yesterday. The um but the the fact still remains that they need it. Yeah. And um and whatever level they're at, that's cool. But um if they avoid it now, um I think what you're trying to what you were emphasizing was that it's just going to create more problems down the road rather than um, solutions. Yeah. And I guess a good way to talk about this would be the movement bubble stuff that you guys teach at Lone Dog about how you got your bubble, you stay inside your bubble, you'd be able to move well, do well, and generally train pain-free in inverted brackets, commas, within reason. But if you step outside your bubble, some stuff can go wrong. So you want to explain that a little bit and that can be, we can use that to sort of explain the ground spanks and stuff as well. Yeah. I'm just trying to think, I think that's a Viper term originally. Yeah. Yeah. Bubble. And what that's basically. Which Viper is Institute of Motion too, guys. That's the same company. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to, Oh yeah. Because they've just released Viper pro. So I might Mm. spout them up there because those guys are doing some pretty cool work. Right. And most of this topic today is being borrowed from them. Thanks guys. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks guys. (laughs) Uh, Look, Oh, well, look, (laughs) 
the movement bubble, I'll try and I'll try and sum it up like a tweet. Let's try and do tweet yeah. tweet discussions, right? Luckily, Here's, they just extended the length of tweets. All right, so let's do um, <laughs> tweet extended. <laughs> Is the it's the size of a movement that you can do with rhythm and timing. Yeah. So if you can, we'll take a lunge. It's the size of a step that you can take and return from that if you were looking at it from a, from a distance or from the peripheral of your vision, you, you would, you would, you would recognize it as being rhythmical, kind of more like a dance sort of thing. So there's this nice even flow forward and this nice smooth return um, as opposed to someone who might exceed that. And to be able to do that, they might have to throw themselves forward to get the length. Right. And then they might have to like stop prop and then power themselves back out of it. Right. Which don't get me wrong, the power outcome is a good thing in a certain situation. But when we're talking about people moving pain-free and, um, and within their threshold, uh, this idea of this bubble where you can maintain rhythm and timing and everything is just like smooth and it's pretty to watch, um, that, that pretty much sums it up. If it starts to look a little clunky or you look like the Tin Man out of The Wizard of Oz when you're doing your, your movement, then that's a pretty good indication that you're, that you're shifting outside your threshold um, and if you live out that side, that threshold for an extended period of time, depending on your development, then that tends to lend to bad news. And in our experience with the people that we uh, run into, yes, mm. people who step outside that bubble, whether it's for, you know, um, one rep or a thousand reps, it, it doesn't matter. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like that time bomb analogy. We don't know when it's going to go off or gonna, grenade sort of thing, yeah. but we know it will go off. So if uh, people stay within their in their threshold of movement, they um, they tend to feel good. Well, we use my running as an analogy when I was running for the Spartan Ultra Beast. When I ran and ran in the right zones, which was like touching in orange, staying in green, everything felt really good. Breathing felt really good, and I could do that for ages. And there was this one, a few times where I was running and I ran into the red zone. When my breathing got laboured because I was in the high heart rate zone, my running got laboured or just changed patterns slightly. Every injury I got, I can literally trace it back to my heart rate in that workout and go, that's where I popped in the red zone for a little bit too long and I either did my calf or my knee played up or something behind my knee played up every single time, which is me going outside the bubble where I could run for ages inside my bubble and feel really good doing it and finish feeling great. And then when I ran outside my movement bubble with running and because my breathing changed my mechanics and everything, my body just ended up kicking me in the pants. That is, um, that's a pretty good way to bring us back to where you and I both started. And the idea that with all thresholds, so we were talking about threshold from a movement perspective, but you can get threshold from a, an intensity perspective. As yeah. Well. Um, your conditioning will dictate how long you can, you know, spend in different areas, right? So you might be able to sprint uh, for 10 seconds before your sprinting mechanics starts to fall apart. And that's pretty much your level of a sprinter, right? And you were saying that once you were running, you'd run to a certain level. And once you spent a certain amount of time in that level, uh, your body would stop uh, cooperating yeah. or coordinating yeah. itself, uh, which led to you, uh, getting a bit niggly in the calf and getting a bit mm. cranky in the knees and and that this all makes sense to us and and that's what brings us back to um, what these people are also doing with their with their multiple bouts of hit training 
Yeah. Sure, you might be able to sustain that for a short period of time, but it's the um, it's how long you can handle it for and then how long you should handle it for for what you're trying to achieve and then the consequences of you being in that uh, environment for too long. And the, you hear this story all the time where people are like, I was super motivated. I started doing, I started doing my pump class five times a week and then I did it for six months and then my back blew out sort of thing. And, and then they blame their back for, or whatever it is for not being able to handle the load because you know, uh, you know, Sally next door, she goes to the same class and she's been doing it for longer and her back didn't blow out. I must be doing something wrong. But all it was, was not recognizing your ability to, um, to live inside that threshold yeah, and stepping outside that threshold for an extended period of time. And whether that grenade goes off today or whether that grenade sort of stays under control for six months, they're basically the, the factors that people don't understand. So if you want the benefits from high intensity training, um, here's the short answer for you once or twice a week, that'll do it. Yeah. One, pretty once much. Or twice a week, we'll do it. Um, you don't need to, well, most people can't handle much more than that unless you're an athlete in like that red light, yellow light, green light that we talk about. Mm-hmm. The green light and everything's awesome. They got no other stress going on, so they can train hard and they've got room to recover. But nearly everyone I talk to, the, the magic number for everyone I program for. Seems to be one or two a week, and they can do that for a long time. Three, four times a week, then they like start starts feeling like a chore, like it, and they start not enjoying it. And when they start going from the when they starts becoming a chore, eventually, what happens with all chores? We all just end up putting a roadblock towards it, and either stop doing it or try and figure out something else we can do besides doing that thing. That's why my grass grows as high as my pants. Yeah. So I've got a lawnmower guy. <laughs> but you're right. And I, and here's the, here's, the nice, here's the nice thing that some people might appreciate hearing. If you reach a point in your exercise career where you're deciding, I don't feel very motivated today, or it feels too hard to get out of bed this morning, you haven't trained too hard. You just haven't recovered enough yet. Yeah, I can if, keep talking about that because that come up recently as well with someone we both know. So okay. let's talk about the thing about there's not, it's not really overtraining. It's more under-recovering and what do we mean by that? Yeah, that, like um, uh, when you, you speak to coaches at every level and, and you're talking to people who really put people through their paces and it's very rare that you will find uh, an athlete who overtrains. But it is quite common that you will find an athlete who under-recovers. And all that means is that you are returning to training sooner than your body has adapted to what you just did to it. So, yeah. great. Go into training, train hard, you know, do what you want to do and do what you need to do for your training outcome. Um, but the amount of time that you need before once that bout is over before you start the next bout uh, that varies from person to person. And if you find yourself being somebody who's kind of like, Oh man, I just, I just don't feel like I got it today. Listen to that. It means yeah. that you probably just need a little bit longer um, to get over it. And, and then that's when we start looking at the stuff outside of the gym. So what are you, what's your nutrition like? What's your hydration like? How are you sleeping? Um, what other stresses have you got in your cup from life? Um, those will things that will impact your recovery time also. So just because you trained as hard again as like Sally next door, I don't know who this Sally is, but she's, (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, He's an athlete. Yeah, Sally, Sally, Sally might be an athlete. Sally might be an athlete who was paid, right, to train for work and then spend the rest of her day uh, recovering from that. Mm. Whereas you, who might train with Sally, might do the exact same session as Sally, but then you've got to go off and work in a highly stressful environment. uh, And that takes away from your ability to recover fully from your physical activity. So it needs to be appreciated and, and just, and, 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 and I'm going to say it again and let known that it's okay. Yeah. Like it's normal. Yes. It's not like there's anything wrong with you. No. And it's a good thing too, because if you go back too soon, um, then the adaptation that you were looking for from your previous bout of exercise just got interrupted and you don't get it. Um, and then you go back to train on top of it and then you haven't recovered. So you probably won't perform very well in that one anyway. We're just going to say probably. And as a result, you won't get the outcome from that either. So guess what? You're just that person who trains a lot and gets nothing out of it. Yeah. And again, these are the sort of people that we come up to. Uh, so when you're programming for people and looking at what their goals are, and if your goals are to perform well for a long time, then we need to look at what you're training, how you're training, why you're training, and then what you're doing between bouts of training yeah. so that we can get you there all the time, every time. Because I think the big trap that people fall into and what I and like you guys are doing and what we're, what I'm doing online as well is like people think as stress as these different buckets. Like the sleep one's over here and the food one's here and work stress is over there and this pain I'm in is over here. But they don't think it, they don't bring it all into your, their system, their body. They don't think of it as like one whole system where we like, yeah, you all those cups. They all go into this one bucket, which is you. How much you can do is whatever's left over in that bucket, pretty much. If you've got all these other things going in there, your capacity to do anything else, like for training, which is what we're looking at here, your capacity to train or want to train is based on whatever else is going on in your life. And we're not saying that you need to go live in the hills and switch off from technology and do tantric yoga for every single hour of the day just so you can train hard. It's just that being able to regulate what you're doing and knowing that if you do wake up in the morning and you are cooked, a walk is the load that's going to be awesome for you and gets you to where you want to be compared to going out and smashing yourself in a workout if your bucket's already full. Yes, and if you are trying to exercise for a health outcome, uh, that frequent intermittent bout of exercise is actually going to be far more productive for you than that one hour of high-intensity exercise. Yeah, like let's talk about that because we're healthy outcomes. This is really good. So the intermittent workouts during the day, like yes. we talk about it all the time with the people we talk to, but they, people still get stuck in the idea of like, well, I'm going to the gym for this hour and that's enough. Or I'm going to the gym twice a week for an hour. So that's two hours a week and that's enough. I don't need to do anything else. Okay. Then I'll, I'll pull everyone up there and tell them this. If you train for an hour a day, even if you train every day, right? Mm. One hour of training has been shown not to offset any disruptive lifestyle and environmental factors. So it doesn't matter what you do in that one hour, you can train the house down. If your other 23 hours are static postured or disruptive environment, then you're going to have negative health outcomes. Or more more correctly, that one hour of exercise is not going to do anything to offset your uh, negative health outcomes that your environment might be generating for you. Yeah. So without addressing those things, then um, then it doesn't matter. And it's not a more. It's not a, We're not saying it's not a more training thing. 
it's a more movement thing, low intensity play type movement, walking, stuff like that is the stuff and like house chores, all that kind of stuff. Just it's movement you, in general. It's your dose outcome. So yeah. you will, you will still get fitter by going to the gym one hour a day. Mm. Those markers will change, but everything pertaining to um, health, yeah. uh, that does not change. So like, that's exactly how we pretty much talk about it in our coaching groups with the CJ River is like the movement that we have outside of the gym is our health. And this is the stuff that we want for longevity. So we build that in and we want that as like a staple in our day. And then the training is to get fitter at a task. What's your task that you want to get good at? That's what we do in the training. It's goal-based, all that kind of stuff. And then health is like, just get out and move for mindset, feeling good about yourself and all the health markers that come from it. People can't see it, but we know it does help. Sort of, I don't know where I was going to go next. You go. <laughs> oh yeah, no, and I can get on it. And and don't get me wrong, like as a as an an athlete trying to perform at the highest level, you better believe that a lot of my training is wash, rinse, repeat. Like mm. I'm not going to get good at jerking kettlebells by not jerking kettlebells. There is a big portion of my week dedicated to just doing that. And but what I need to consider is the effect that is having on me in the long term. And, uh, and because of that, what do I need to do now to offset things uh, to allow myself to sort of um, have my cake and eat it too, so to speak, because yeah. I want to perform at a high level and I will perform at a high level, but I also, don't, <laughs> but I also don't want to be that guy who's like, and you see these because I've seen these guys who, you know, their, their back blows out or their knees blow out or, or something happens because of what they did. Uh, or the way that they approached their training loads uh, and disregarded the health consequence to it. Yeah. So in my sport, for example, there's a lot of guys that lift in lifting shoes. There's a, guy, a lot of guys who lift with weightlifting belts on. Um, and there is a, an advantage to both of those tools. And if I wanted to uh, succeed at a higher level faster, then yes, I would probably want to jump into those tools but nobody's paying me to yeah i'm not i'm not gonna be able i'm not living off of my sport so i'm not one who is willing to trade off my health 10 years from now um just to have short-term success so yeah to yeah borrow your expressions i'm not gonna jack my feet up and i'm not gonna like cook my back now um just to get a bit of ego um on the platform and that's essentially what it comes down to for me personally, and it's what we see with our people as well. Um, because at the end of the day, you can write all the programs uh, that can be the most suitable for any person in the world, but you have to remember that there's a human within that body as well residing in that. Um, and if you can't speak to them um, for what their, what their needs are and what their wants are, then, you're, you're, and then you're, your project is futile because yeah. um, they, won't, they won't carry it out anyway. Okay. Uh, and that comes down to the ego of the person and the humility of the coach. Yeah. And I think what might be good to sort of round this up is talk about, say, there's people listening that want to get this, like, train for health. Like, yes, they want to get fitter, but they want to train for health outcomes in the future. What's some red light flags they should be looking for if they're doing a program and they're like, there's something they should look out for. It's like, okay, this isn't really, might not get me to where I want to be long-term and what's the things they can look for for something like if they're going somewhere, they're like, these are the things that they should be asking or whatever to okay. make you sort of 
make them sort of think, okay, this might be something that's going to be right. And I might put it into a flow chart for them later so they can go, okay, these are the things that I should be looking for. Which is a tough question. That's a complicated <laughs> question. I'm just thinking about it. Uh, the, uh, Besides just going to you guys. The, going uh, to Lone Dog. <laughs> well, that's it, man. Like you, everybody, you, I, the reason that we're having this conversation yeah. is that I'm hoping, I'm hoping more people start to change the narrative to the way that we're looking at exercise. And, and exercise will always be uh, measured through performance. But the overarching theme for the outcome for us is health. Yeah. So we want to get people performance outcomes. So we want them to be faster. We want them to be leaner. We want them to be stronger, but we also want them to benefit from a health perspective as well. We want them to live longer. We want them to stay mobile. We want them to be able to do the things that they want to do um, to live, to be the best versions of themselves. I can yeah. steal from DJ Rubrik. Look at me go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> The, um, the, the flags for me or the biggest flag for me in the fitness industry is um, the systems approach. Yeah, yeah. Anybody or if the place that you're going to has a systematic approach, then they are not generally looking at things through the lens of the client. They are looking through it to the way that it benefits the gym or the coach or the trainer or the whatever. Because even purely by its broken down acronym like save yourself time energy and money anybody who takes a systems approach to fitness is looking at how they can maximize their bottom dollar um and not the outcome for the client uh, i don't care if they follow it up with yes we love all our people one way or the other if you if you are just putting people through um uh putting people through like a conveyor belt approach to exercise then uh, you're going to have very limited success for the person you might have success for people but it's probably going to become from the fact that you are drawing a certain client into your system and the success stories are because of like attracting like not yeah. because you're actually uh, addressing anybody's issues and i guess uh, it's the like rigid versus flexibility yeah and that flexibility for us like you can have a systemized approach to things like don't get us wrong. We do group training. Like there's a, there's a template, so to speak for, yeah. for a particular session. But, um, but the program never stays the same because the, the clients or the community that we have that come to us, they tell us what their needs are and their needs are ever changing. So we, we have to sit, there's some stuff that sort of stays and some stuff that currently that continually evolves, but we can't just take people through the same program over and over again because that's, that's, that's a system and it fails. Yeah. And um, the one way that we can allow to have flexibility over this rigidity is um, by taking note or at least observing um, the readiness of the individual. Uh, and then from that starting block, we can then uh, make changes at, at any given moment, really, on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute basis um, to allow that person to be better at the end of that exercise prescription. So if someone comes in at the start of the session and um, uh, you do the stress cup thing, right? So if someone yeah. comes in and, the, and they've got the, the, they're on the red light, that's cool. And it's cool for us to know because it allows us to know how much load, how much intensity um, to give that individual to make sure that they progress so that tomorrow they still wake up feeling motivated yeah, if they come in again and they're a red light again, cool, that's fine. Then we get to adjust and go on. And then 
if we're doing our job right, you should see them go up to a yellow light and then a green light and then yeah. they're fluctuating between, as you know. Um, but if we're not doing our job right, it'll just be red light, red light, red light. If we're doing our job right and it's not coming from us, then we should at least be able to help them uh, bring attention to what it is that's bringing them that red light so that they can change it. So, you know, is it what they're eating? Uh, is it how they're moving outside the gym or lack of movement for most people because they're in office cubicles or stuck driving cars? Um, the number one job in our, uh, the number one career in our uh, area here is social work. So we know that most of our people just by population are either desk bound or bound to steering wheels. So knowing that just helps us uh, choose on, and select exercise for people uh, in a more educated way. Um, and then from readiness, uh, it's then, of course, uh, the outcome. Yeah. So yes, if the person, um, you know, you can have a group of people, if one person's there for fat loss and the other person's there for strength, they can do the similar sort of activities, but the way that they go about it probably will not be identical. Um, as you know, at Lone Dog, we use things like heart, back, heart rate feedback and, um, and then just subjective feedback from them as well with what they write down and tell us mm. um, to help determine basically how, how hard, uh, that's a, maybe not the best word to use, but at what level to challenge them that on that day so that they can adapt yeah. and keep getting better. I think that's the things that for me that stood out with you guys is the difference in making it um, client centric versus the system centric or group centric is like, yeah, the heart rate stuff is a big one because you can regulate the training to suit the person's readiness, which is the second one because when they come in, they score themselves and we change the intensity of the training to suit what their score is and then talk to them about how they can come back as a better score the next day, which is probably the third one is education around the outside stresses and how it affects the training and how they can manipulate. So when they come in, they're at their best selves and they can train hard because which when people generally train, they want to train hard. So we show them how they can come back and train hard. And yeah, like you said, rigid versus flexibility, the flexibility to be able to change something to the person because it's very rare to find people who are identically the same and move the same in a workout, especially in a group setting. Yeah. You can even take twins and put them in a, uh, if they've got different environments, they're going to adapt differently. So you yeah, can't, you can't even treat twins the same unless they've got the exact same job and they sleep in the exact same bed. <laughs> yeah. So I think, <laughs> What we'll put, I'll put that into like a little one page of cheat sheet. But when, yeah, when you, if you're going to check places out outside of Lone Dog, like if you don't live in Orba Redonga, obviously, <laughs> just drive here every day. No, <laughs> outside Lone Dog, look for things like I think heart rate would be a massive one because that's the that's low hanging fruit for gyms to implement. That's easy stuff for them to do. It's not really hard as long as they do the heart rate training the right way, which we can talk about another time. And then the readiness which is like the system we use for the CJ River, which is the stress cup, red light, yellow light, green light. Show up as many days as you like. You just change the, red, the, the way you're doing the load and the intensity based on how you feel. And then, yeah, outcome bases, like, like you said as well. Do they want strength? Do they want fat loss? What do they want? And how do they accommodate you if you are in a group setting or semi-private setting, which is the, the big guru-y type of training thing that's going on right now? Yeah, so if uh, for, that's what if the general public, public are listening to, they're the sort of thing to look for. For any coaches that are listening, yeah, the, um, just listening to you hear that back and me trying to work out where I heard some of this stuff the first time, the client-centered approach 
um, check out PTA Global uh, and the heart rate uh, prescription activities uh, for readiness and knowing how uh, all the factors, all the factors that need to be considered when uh, choosing force for tissue, uh, Ian O'Dwyer or OD on movement. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff is um, through their good graces and the uh, health-based outcomes for things. So um, basically a lot of things that we spoke about today and a lot more uh, IOM health um, and, uh, and the work that they do has been quite formidable uh, in the way that we approach our training just mm. because of what our clients asked from us. Uh, yeah. And that's what from. Like I said, we can train people at the highest levels. You know, we go to world championships for things, but the, there's not a lot of people who walk through the door and ask to be trained at that level. But the, the thing that we get asked for the most um, comes down to um, subjects and matter that are described and well-educated through those, those channels right there. And I think, like I'll put links in to the show notes for this and the client-centered approach book that PTA Global brought out, which is a good starter for people. Well, that's a Roy Sugarman book. Yeah. And I think they, you got it up there. Uh, it's the, I don't know if I do. I, it'd be around here somewhere. I think, what's his name? You know, the PTA Global guy. What's there? Oh, Bobby Capuccio is a yeah. clever guy. Yeah, yeah. He's got, he's referenced throughout that thing like crazy and the actual PTA form on how you um, assess clients in the initial stage and figure out their training personality i think that's a good way to get the start and then it funnels into the readiness thing and it funnels into institute of motion stuff doing it through those steps like pta global institute or odwire readiness and institute of motion is like those three things will change the way you think about training clients massively it will change the way it won't change the way that you train people but no. it will uh, it will help you serve people yeah Give them what they want versus what we think they want. <laughs> well, basically, just take the ego out of it and give people what they need. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> that's good. Doesn't, doesn't matter what I want to do, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, deadlifts. Everyone will be press. just doing kettlebell jerk all day, every day, right? And that's my like. How do we, how do we get better at the squat bench press? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do we get better at deadlift bench press? Yeah, people are like, oh, I need to get better at power. I better do box jumps. <laughs> oh, maybe not. <laughs> no. All right. So how do people find you? And how do people dog? find me? Man, I'm not the most social media savvy person in the world, but Lone Dog as a company, they're up there. So on all the socials, Lone Dog, L-O-N-E-D-O-G. If you type that in there and come to some sort of Lone Dog health, wellness and fitness site on your Facebooks and your, uh, your Instagrams and your Twitters and the like, you'll, um, you'll find us through there. Um, I'll have them in the but, show notes too. But um, yeah, the anything that's that we find particularly useful um, for for anybody in this space, um, we sort of share throughout there. And if you need to find us and ask us any further questions, that's probably the best way to get us. It's true. And reach out to him via messenger in normal trading times, and he'll answer any questions, especially for local peeps who want to check out Lone Dog. You want to go Absolutely. and see what it's all about. Just send him a message, and they will get you in and talk to you about it. Yes, we um, we host a lot of education and things like that at Lone Dog as well. So um, yeah, so spruik your kettlebell set. The kettlebell set's coming. Do it. Oh yes. Yeah. So I also work for um, FTI or the uh, Functional Training Institute, doing their courses, and they're about to uh, bring one out to the sticks, out to us, out to us um, outback people. 
and kettlebells level one and two is coming to your favorite city, Aubrey Wodonga. On top of that, I'm while I'm spruiking, we will be hosting the um, Australian National Kettlebell Championships right here in A-Town in July as well. Uh, so for anybody who has been listening to me say the words kettlebell jerk throughout this and don't quite understand what that is, come down and check out that sport because not only is it re- ridiculously um, uh, mind-blowing to watch people do what they do, but the people involved in it are exceptional. So come and check out all the Giravoy Sports Australia activities. Uh, again, just follow all the Lone Dog socials to learn all the information about that. Is there anything else that we're doing, dude? No. <laughs> I think that's everything. I was just trying to think if you had a, um, any other courses coming up, like TRX or anything, but... Uh, no, yeah, so the education that we do for TRX and for Trigger Point, um, we are doing those, but they'll be in your... Uh, your popular cities. So Melbourne uh, is when all those things will be taking place. So just in a roundabout way, we just basically said that doggy trains trainers pretty much all up and down the East coast to be better at training people. Yeah. And being able to get to those people is kind of nice because it gets me to continue having this conversation Hmm. with our um, broader fitness community, which is really nice. And yeah. And uh, through those tools, TRX trigger point, um, and kettlebells, those those pieces of equipment there, they seem to draw a um, a very savvy and passionate type of trainer. So the reason I like hanging out with those tools is because it draws a certain person that's that's helping change the way that we um, that we view things. And it's not that what we've been doing before is wrong. It's just that the community that we're currently hanging out with are asking us for something different that is not being served to them by um, uh, by the fitness community as a whole. Yeah. So just about creating awareness for the fact that you can use exercise to get performance outcomes. You can use exercise to get health outcomes and, and emphasizing that for people is pretty much what it is. So creating awareness. Yeah. So thank you for letting me do that here, man. No, it was good. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll get doggy back again later to talk about his love kettlebell sport for one thing. That'd be a good thing to talk about and introduce people to what it is. Yeah, man, I'll talk about... Man, I'll just talk. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably just come back on pretty regularly. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about Marvel movies. (laughs) Oh, don't get me started. We should just this up. Yeah, we'll stop. Okay, see you guys. (laughs) Massive thank you for Shannon for coming on today. We're going to talk to the other half of the Lone Dog Power Couple, which is Cheryl, in the coming weeks. But like we said, if you want to find and talk to Doggy more, just find him on social media, Shannon Pigden and Lone Dog. If you would like to get a copy of our one-page plan blueprint to getting strong, lean, healthy, our big three for fat loss, go to our website. It's on the homepage. Put your email in and we'll send it to you straight away. And you'll also get a seven-day video course on how to implement it into your life. Thanks again for listening. If you found value in it, please share this this show around.